Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I lived in Harrisonburg, I played drums for a worship service that met every Sunday evening at 7 o'clock. On Sunday mornings, the sanctuary would be packed with individuals and families from the community who would listen to the likes of an organ, they'd sing together from a hymnal, they prayed from their pews, and they worshipped together. On Sunday evenings, however, we would set up for a very different type of worship service. We had two electric guitars, a bass, a drum set, and a couple singers. Instead of suits and dresses, most people came as they were. And instead of the sanctuary being packed, we were lucky if we had more people in the pews than we had in the band. The basic uh, formula for worship included playing four songs or so. We read scripture, we listened to a sermon, we had communion, and then we'd play one more song. Which meant that I spent the overwhelming majority of the evenings sitting behind a drum set watching everyone else. From this vantage point, I quickly learned who always came late, who refused to sing certain songs, who really let themselves go and put their hands in the air when they were praising Jesus, and who pretended to pray when in fact they were just texting someone on their phone. I'd been playing with the band for quite a long time when I started to notice a young man, probably about my age, who walked in during the first song and left during the last song every week. We had some people who would show up for just one Sunday a month, and we had others who would be there for a couple weeks in a row only to disappear completely. But this guy, he was there every single week. Week after week, I watched him arrive only to depart before I had a chance to speak with him. But even though we couldn't talk together, his faithfulness to me was palpable. As a college student, he came to worship week after week while others were choosing to put their allegiances in other places. When that first academic year was coming to a close, the leadership team for the service got together to talk about changes for the future. It was abundantly clear that we were not growing, and we wanted to make more disciples of Jesus Christ, so we just started to discuss ways we could get more people to join us on Sunday evenings for worship. I suggested that we speak with the young man who snuck in and snuck out. After all, he showed up more than anyone else. I thought he'd have some ideas for us. So the next Sunday, we purposely ended with a song that did not use the drums so that I could talk to him before he jettisoned out of the sanctuary. We met in the doorway on his way out, and I introduced myself. While the band was still playing, I explained that I saw him come in every week, and I apologized for not doing more to get to know him. I then launched into a very long and dense theological reflection about why we need more people to come to church And that all of us thought he would be the perfect person to speak with. He listened as I went on and on until he raised his hand and he said, Hey, that sounds really nice, but I'm not a Christian. Not a Christian? What do you mean you're not a Christian? What in the world have you been doing here every week for a year? He said, I don't feel like I belong anywhere else. I don't have any friends. So I came here. 
We want to belong, don't we? We want to belong in the worst ways, whether we're in preschool or high school or it's been a long time since we've been in school. Out of this desire to belong, we join communities. Things like neighborhood associations, sport teams, civic organizations, and even scout troops. But sometimes they disappoint us. We hope for a sense of identity and purpose and community to just magically erupt soon after we begin. But because people are so focused on themselves, or someone forgets our name, or someone else argues with us over a matter of opinion, we become disappointed and disillusioned, and before long, we fall back into that pit of loneliness. That same desire for belonging was apparently true of the folk in Corinth. As Chris just read for us, the church that Paul helped to inaugurate was struggling. The people wanted to belong, to be part of something, and they joined the church. But then, like we always do, they broke up into factions. I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to somebody else in the church. One need not stretch the imagination to hear the same sorts of declarations in church today. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I think that Zig Volskis was the best pastor we ever had. I think that Steve Greer was the best pastor we ever had. And Paul caught word of these divisions in church and he wrote a letter to them. Who do you belong to? Why are you dividing over issues of leadership? I came to you with the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified, but clearly it was not enough. So long as you continue to quarrel, you will never be ready to be Christ's church. Who do we belong to? We have a riveting book in the United Methodist Church called The Book of Discipline. It's a real page turner. In it, it's actually paragraph 120, if you're interested, we have the mission of the church. It goes like this. The mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Making disciples is at the heart of what it means to be a United Methodist. I mean, it's what Jesus tells the disciples to do at the end of Matthew's gospel. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But today, making disciples is often confused with filling the pews. It results in having conversations about how to get more people into the building while neglecting to interact and connect with the people who are already here. It results in what Paul calls infantile discipleship. It results in working for the numbers more than working for the kingdom. And then we've got this bit about transforming the world. Is that really the church's mission? Do we have the church to change the people around us and the community around us? Should that be our sole purpose? Does the church exist to make the world a better place? I believe that church is defined by things like the sacraments of communion and of baptism so that we can be a community of difference and a community of peace. The church, therefore, is not called to make the world a better place, but to be the better place God has already made in the world. Say that again. It's not the role of the church to make the world a better place, but to be the better place God has already made in the world. Of course, then there's a problem, because the problem is whether or not our experience of the church matches its definition of being the better place. I suspect that many of you have experienced the church as Paul experienced it. Disagreements, arguments, and at times suffocating silence between bickering factions. For some 
The pews in the sanctuary are more like walls of division and less like avenues of connection. If the church is supposed to be the better place that God has already made in the world, then it should, like for that young man in Harrisonburg, be the place to cure loneliness. Because loneliness is something all of us have experienced in some way, shape, or form, and it is not easily healed. I spend an hour every week with the youth of our church at a gathering called The Circle. It's always on Wednesday evenings, 7 o'clock. We always have communion. We have a box of accountability questions that we ask one another to grow in fellowship, and we always study the Bible, but mostly... We just talk about what's going on in each other's lives. And without breaking any of their trusts, I'll tell you, their lives are not easy. There is such a tremendous amount of pressure placed on them by outside forces, whether it's their parents or their teachers or an organization they're a part of. They feel compelled and pushed to change their image, change the way they talk, change the way they think, and even change what they believe in order to be accepted. Some weeks, I leave our circle meetings feeling completely broken by what they have to experience on a regular basis. And then I wake up in the morning and I go to a Bible study we have here with older adults, and then I talk with someone who's basically going through the exact same things as our high school students, but just in a different form. The world would have us change. Change your image. Hide your faults. Be somebody else. As Christians, however, we walk with our wounds and our cracks and our brokenness instead of running away from them. We can't accept who we are until we know that we are who we are because God made us this way and God loves us because of who we are. The church can be the better place God has made in the world when the church is the place where we walk with our wounds and our loneliness because of Christ and of him crucified. The broken and the lonely, Christ on the cross knows our brokenness, knows our loneliness, but he also carries that brokenness and that loneliness so we might see the one who really loves us. God. God is the one transforming the world. God is the one who makes the first last and the last first. God does and should always get all the good verbs. God is a God of action, of change, of transformation. We, we're the church, we're the vineyard of God's garden. We might plant the seeds, we might even water them, but God is always the one who makes them grow. You and I, with our sins and our disappointments, with our fears and our loneliness, we have a place here. God invites us to the better place where we are welcomed, not because we fit the mold, but because we do not fit the mold. We have a place in this better place because we are caught up in God's story. Just look at the cross or think about the water of baptism. God is made manifest in the world not through the powerful, not through the expectations of the mighty, but through the weak and through the shunned, through babies and wandering Israelites, through tax collectors and fishermen, through a poor rabbi who was murdered by the state. This place we call the church is the better place God has made in the world. 
Whenever we come to this place, we remember who we are and whose we are. We remember our death to self and our resurrection to Christ. We remember our baptism. And in so doing, we remember the great story of creation, of the flood, of Exodus. We remember in our baptism that we became something bigger and greater than ourselves. We became part of the body of Christ, the church, where we should never, ever be lonely. Where we should never, ever be made to feel like we're not enough. In our baptisms, we joined the better place God has made in this world. Who then do we belong to? Do we belong to political rhetoric and partisan ideology? Do we belong to church growth programs co-opted by a desire to see more people in the pews? Do we belong to isolationism or interventionism? Do we belong to a world that pressures us to be and to become that which we are not? Do we belong to Paul? Do we belong to Apollos? Do we belong to the flesh and are consumed by sin and jealousy and quarreling? No. In this better place... We belong to God. I offer this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.